Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. Getting ready for and preparing for college can be a daunting task, even if you are fully sighted. But what if you have a visual impairment? We'll speak with Ellen Treef, a professor at Hunter College, about her book entitled College Bound, A Guide for Students with Visual Impairments, which offers lots of practical advice for prospective and current students. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Ellen Treef. I really hope that young people who want to go to college don't give up. What my advice is, is really think very carefully about where you want to be and where the best fit might be for you. And that's a very hard question to ask yourself because you might not know exactly. But if you virtually visit campuses online or actually go to the campuses, if you can, if you have that luxury, you might learn a great deal about what really goes on at a college campus. And your book, College Bound, might just help people make that decision. Well, I hope so. We've certainly interviewed a number of people through the years on Eyes on Success who have overcome any challenges associated with going to college and have gotten degrees, gone on to rewarding and fun careers. And uh, so it certainly is possible. Check our archives out for some of those episodes. And in particular, we've done several episodes with a young woman who is now a graduate student, but we spoke with her as she was preparing to go to college, shortly after she got to college, and shortly after she graduated about the experience from the perspective of a student. And those were episodes 1143, 1249, and 1623. But today we'll be speaking with a professor who studied the topic. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible by Logan Tech, makers of the electronic take-anywhere six-dot braille label maker that produces crisp, clear braille that strikes, scores, and cuts in seconds. More information on our family of devices and products is at logantech.com. Logan Tech, improving quality of life with technology. Let's start by meeting Ellen and learning about her background. My name is Ellen Treef, and I am a professor at Hunter College in New York City. My job for the last 17 years has been to train teachers of the blind and visually impaired in a program at Hunter College for people interested in this field, working with children who are blind and visually impaired as well as people who are interested in working with others with severe and multiple disabilities. So I actually run two programs at Hunter. Prior to that, I worked at the Jewish Guild for the Blind in Manhattan, and I was the principal of the school at the Jewish Guild for the Blind. What kinds of students did you work with at the Jewish Guild for the Blind? I got to work with many severely multiply impaired children, as well as in early intervention with young babies, birth to five. So I had a varied experience 
with all types of children, as well as adults, I learned a great deal about interacting and working with the population. So the segue into Hunter College was quite an easy one because of the supervisory experience I did at the Jewish Guild for the Blind. And I felt that mentoring these new teachers, teacher candidates, would be a very valuable job. And I have loved my position at Hunter for the last 17 years. What motivated you to originally get involved in this field? I think what really motivated me and interested me about going into this field was when I was in college, I had worked with a young boy. He was seven years old and he had a brain tumor. And because of the brain tumor, he became totally blind. And I was a young college student myself and had no idea what to do with him and had no idea what techniques or ways of working with him would be best. So I became very interested in the field in undergraduate school and then went on for my graduate work and my doctoral work in the field because of this experience. Well, it sounds like you really enjoy your job and it's very rewarding. It is. Um, I think the most rewarding thing is to see the teachers out there in the field interacting with the actual students, and then they become mentors to our new teachers. And I've seen so much in terms of how our teachers, especially in the New York City Department of Education, get our students ready to go to college. And all of this work, I assume, is what prompted you to write your book that's a guide for getting into and attending college for students, and that's what we'll be talking about later. Yes. In fact, the first edition of this book came out of a dissertation for my doctoral work. My main thing was what makes for success in college and to complete their degree and to also think about future employment, which is a very large issue for our population. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. This week's focus topic is the practical advice for prospective and current students contained in Ellen's book. So we wanted to talk today about your book, College Bound, to talk about how people can prepare for college, how they can get through college with some kind of visual impairment, and how they can plan their subsequent career and what they want to do after college. And, you know, it's interesting that making the transition to college, I think, is difficult enough for many people when they go from high school to college. But, you know, there are extra particular challenges for people who are visually impaired. So can you talk about special considerations that visually impaired people have to think about when they prepare for college? Sure. Um, I think some of the issues are the same as people without visual impairment, but I'll try to point out some of the issues in general that our students with visual impairment face. And what might some of those issues be? One is figuring out as a young adult, where do I best fit and where would I be most comfortable? So do I want a very large campus where I can take a class and be one of maybe 200 students in a freshman seminar? Or do I want a very small um, college setting where I'm one of maybe 15 students in a classroom, which is a very different experience. 
So deciding on the type of college and which college to think about would suit a person's personality. And I would say that that's no different from a person who's visually impaired than a person who's sighted. And there's no right or wrong answer there. It's just a question of personal preference and how you most easily get along. Exactly. So it's how you feel about those types of settings. Some, some people might feel very overwhelmed by being in a class of 200 people. Other people might feel very safe because they don't have to raise their hand and answer the questions. And they're just part of this larger group. So it's a very personal decision. As you said, the size of the college is an issue that's relevant to any student. What are some of the issues that would be particular to a visually impaired student? The factor that's quite different is what services does the college have that can support a student who's blind or visually impaired? And by that, I mean, do they have a good office um, with accessibility available for the student to go to? So a student might come to college with a lot of their own technology, a lot of their own materials, but when it comes to test taking and negotiating how to work with professors and all of these other areas that happen during college, is that office with students with disabilities going to be supportive for a student with a visual impairment? And offices vary throughout colleges and throughout who's running them. So, for example, there are good times and bad times at colleges where we have really good people working in the Office of Accessibility and at other times where there's a shortage of people working in the office or not enough people knowledgeable specifically about visual impairment and blindness. So many of these offices are very comfortable with people with learning disabilities or people who have uh, psychiatric problems. But when it comes to visual impairment, you really want to make sure that there are support services at that college if you feel you need them. So another consideration when choosing a college is the physical setting. Does your book get into that much? Yes. It, we, we talk about that in the book because it is very important. Do you want a rural campus, an urban campus? Is it a sprawling campus that's very, very large, which for some might be overwhelming and hard to navigate through the orientation and mobility issues which might crop up? So the question is, again, a level of personal comfort. There are some students who love large campuses and feel very comfortable negotiating that campus and learning how to travel very comfortably through it. There are others who want a smaller campus. The other issue is transportation accessibility. So some students will choose to live in dormitories as their first experience at college. Others will be commuters. And transportation goes beyond that because transportation could mean well, I want to get off that college campus occasionally and have fun and go into town and do something cool with my friends. Can I travel to that town or to that area where I can access movies or restaurants or a good time not on the college campus? So, And the other is how far away from home am I and is that important? Do I want to go across the country or do I want to be closer to my family and to my parents and my support system? Again, another personal decision with no right or wrong answer. 
So you mentioned about staying in a dormitory the first year, and most college freshmen do, unless they're living at home and commuting. And we've been following on this show and also developed a personal relationship with a young woman who's now in graduate school. But when she started as a freshman in college, she did the normal thing in the dormitory where she got a roommate. And her roommate just couldn't get it together to keep her stuff off the floor. And our poor young friend was forever tripping over it. And she just said, look, this is not going to work for the entire school year. So even once you've made a decision, sometimes you run into a situation where things need to change. Yes, that's very true. So um, most colleges will tell you when you're applying freshman year that you'll get to talk to somebody who might be your roommate. And you can have a discussion uh, through the internet, through the telephone, through Skype, however you want to meet with them, and really see what the compatibility level would be. So it doesn't always work out that that roommate is the perfect roommate for you. And the other thing is, the student with visual impairment is coming with a lot of equipment and a lot of stuff usually, meaning their technology. And so is there room in these tiny rooms to house all of that? And what's fair to the other person as well? Another level of consideration. What happens if a student brings a guide dog to college? If a student has a guide dog, they're entitled to their own private room. And that has its pros and cons, too. Sometimes it's great to have a roommate because it provides that additional thread to social experience. Other times, as you mentioned, the roommate can be a detriment if it's unsafe because there's clutter. You walk into the room, you're falling over everything because your roommate's leaving all their books and clothes all over the floor. And what do you recommend a student does who ends up with that kind of roommate issue? It's very important for the person with a visual impairment to be self-advocating in all aspects of their life. And we all, including people who are non-visually impaired, need to self-advocate. But certainly, if something's unsafe or something's happening within your room that you feel um, uncomfortable with, there's a way to say it. And I think that it's very important for that person to learn how to interact and say, look, I walk into the room every time, you know, I can't see what's on the floor. I just would appreciate if you keep the floor free of your materials. And I think that's a very fair comment to share with the roommate. And if the roommate can't respect that, then it's time to change rooms. And, I, and that's doable. Many people change rooms in their freshman year for even lesser reasons, just because they feel uncomfortable with the person they're living with. It's just not a good match for whatever reason. Well, you know, as you mentioned, being your own advocate is not only important when you're visually impaired, but it applies to all aspects of life and not just to a roommate situation, but, you know, making people aware of what difficulties you might have and proposing solutions makes it easier all around. I always made it a point to talk to my professors before each semester and say, you know, look, I'm visually impaired. I'm going to be using such and such adaptive aids. Maybe you can verbalize what you put on the board, et cetera, et cetera. And just to give people feedback is a very good thing. But, you know, sometimes you just have to do this yourself. You can't rely on people just knowing the right answer or knowing what your needs are. Correct. And I think that starts at a very young age, by the way. 
I think that to become a good self-advocate for any person starts at a young age. How do you speak assertively without being obnoxious or turning somebody off? How do you advocate for something without making that other person feel threatened or angry? And I think there are ways of doing that. But if you start at a young age, it's a much more natural interaction with people and you become uh, more empowered and you feel much better about yourself than keeping your mouth shut and just seething and becoming angry, which is not a good thing. Right. You know, it occurs to me that so much has changed since we went to college in the 70s. They didn't have an office of disability at all the colleges. You really were on your own to advocate for yourself and, you know, invent your own solutions for issues. And then the other thing we talked about was just how technology has changed and the kinds of adaptive aids that are available. Can you give us a summary of, you know, what might be interesting for people to know there? Sure. Um, I think you're right on with that. I think in the past, everything was done very manually. What's available now in technology is almost endless, but it's become much more mainstreamed as well. So there's many um, accessibility features on our regular computers. So, for example, the Mac has voice output. You can listen to um, the work that's on the computer. You can purchase an embosser if you're a Braille user. You can have actually the commission for the blind should be purchasing the embosser for you to take to college. You can access almost everything that you need in terms of print material if you know how to do it. And so it's really important for um, young adults, adolescents to learn before they come to college how to use these materials. And what suggestions do you have for how one might pick out the appropriate adaptive aids? What I always recommend is that a student get a good technology evaluation early on, and that should happen in high school. And they should really evaluate how can I access my material so I get everything I need as independently as possible? And then where are the gaps? What is missing that I can't do so independently? Mm -hmm. A student needs to pick and choose what will make their lives most accessible for their own personal needs. So it's very individualized what that equipment should be depending on the visual impairment, what they will need most access to, how they work, are they really a good listener, do they have good listening skills if that's going to be one of the primary modes of getting their information, or are they more a Braille user, so they want their material tactilely in Braille. All good advice. So the evaluation will help the student access the materials, but also access the equipment that they should be bringing to college, and equipment should be minimal yet serve the needs because you can't come to school with 20 million pieces. But that being said, you need backup equipment. So if something fails or crashes, you have something in place as a backup plan. So as I mentioned, when I went through college, there wasn't an accessibility department, and I always interacted with the professors on my own. How do you recommend people do that these days? We all have different ways of doing that, but I think being very matter-of-fact 
and upfront from the very beginning and giving solutions rather than asking them for help is the best way to handle it. Because they're not likely to know the solutions, whereas you've been living the life of being visually impaired. You're the one most likely to understand what your needs are and what the solutions might be. Exactly. So I think if you go in there knowing what you need, for example, if you're totally blind and you say to the, to the teacher, if you're writing something on the board, could you just say it so that I know what's being written on the board? And if they forget to do that, occasionally remind them. And they're not upset by that, by the way, because people do forget. They forget that they have a person who's blind sitting in the classroom. And people like to help if they just know what to do. Right. And I think they feel much, much better and more comfortable if you say it rather than sitting there missing the information and then coming to them going, I can't take the final because I missed three quarters of your lecture because you didn't tell me what you were writing on the board. That's way too late. Right. So you need to like start at a very early point in the semester talking to your professor, developing a, a very you know comfortable relationship where you can go to the professor and it might only take five minutes. It might not be a long, um, drawn out thing. And you might say to them, can I come visit you at office hours if they're really rushing from class to class or they don't have time to talk to you at that particular point? I'd love to make an appointment. Can I meet with you? And explaining some of your needs It'll make a huge difference. It's also a great education for professors who've never had a person who's blind or visually impaired in their class. So we don't have time today to talk about in detail all of the aspects of college life that you've covered in your book, but we've talked about some in detail. Can you summarize for us some other topics that are found in the book? Yes, I'd be happy to. I think the most important area that I found when I first did my study for my dissertation was social interaction. That very often a student comes to college and is so overwhelmed by all these new people. How do I meet them? How do I make a friend? How do I become involved in a club or in an activity that I'm interested in? What am I interested in? Boy, those issues can be a challenge for any student, sighted or blind. But for the blind students, it's harder to physically locate their fellow students or activities. Do you have any advice on that? The advice that I always give is going in with the confidence and the knowledge of how to socially connect, how to interact, and what your expectations are. Not everybody wants a million friends, and that's fine, too. But how do you seek out and find those one or two or three or five people that you would like to spend time with in your downtime and having downtime so that you're not always wrapped up in academics is a really important thing. The flip side to that is too much downtime could create havoc on your GPA so that you have to have a balancing act going. And the other areas that are of great concern are how independent are you as a person? So did you learn how to wash your own clothes and use a washing machine? Did you learn how to negotiate a cafeteria where there's a lot of people and that you have to figure out what am I going to eat? Where am I going to sit? 
And am I using my utensils correctly? And can I socially be interacting while I'm having a nice meal with a group of peers who are sitting at my table? So I'm saying it very simplistically, but actually it's very complex. And I think it is the biggest area of concern. So independence, knowing how to do for yourself and take care of your own basic needs is also a very important thing to learn well before you go to college. And I think that's true. People sometimes just focus on the academics of being in college, but you know, really it's a holistic experience. It's all about learning these new socialization skills, becoming independent, as you say, you know, getting out of the home and out from under your parents, uh, taking care of you. And uh, really people should think about all those aspects of being in college. Exactly. Now for this week's final item, how you can reach Ellen Treef and how to get hold of her book. So can you tell us again what the name of your book is and where people can get it? Sure. It's called College Bound, A Guide for Students with Visual Impairments, and it's published by the American Foundation for the Blind Press. And they can get it online through AFB Press, and it's accessible as an ebook as well as a hardbound large print book. Do you know the web address for the AFB store? Yes, it's www.afb.org slash store. And who is this book aimed at? Who is the audience for this book? So this book is aimed at students who want to go to college. It's really a guide for them to give them some pointers and ideas of what to think about and what to prepare for. I would suggest, though, that it's read and looked at well before college, and that might be in sophomore or junior year of high school. It's also geared for parents of students going to college because there are pointers and tips in there that parents should be aware of when helping to guide their child looking for colleges And it's geared for teachers of the blind and visually impaired to help them preparing their students to get ready for college. So, so many of these things that are in this book shouldn't start from day one of college. They have started sometimes as young as preschool in terms of forming the personality, self-advocacy, learning how to be assertive but not overbearing and learning how to advocate for oneself. So if people have questions for you, is there a way that they can get in touch with you? Sure. My email address is etreef, T as in Thomas, R-I-E-F as in Frank, at hunter, H-U-N-T-E-R, dot CUNY, C-U-N-Y, And if you're looking for any of those resources or links to other episodes of Eyes on Success in which we talked about college or education, go to the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for show number 1732. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about the recently introduced L Braille device. 
El Braille is a fully mobile, portable computer running Windows 10 together with JAWS for Windows. It also contains a docking station and is integrated with the Freedom Scientific Focus 14 Braille display. We'll speak with Svetlana Vasilyeva and Adi Kushner of the Alita Group about this device designed specifically for blind and deafblind users. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.tiesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes, follow us on Facebook and on audioboom.com, at Eyes on Success, or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.